Turn, if you would, this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at, at uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to the end of the chapter. But we're going to remark on a couple of verses out of Ephesians 4. Have you ever heard the statement, ignorance is bliss? I remember Dennis Anderson and I, when we worked for the same company, were driving in his truck, and it was right after school had let out, and we saw all those high school kids free for the summer, and we said, oh, if you only knew. If you only knew. But ignorance is bliss. But you know it's not true. If you had a terrible disease, and you were going to die, and there was a cure, and you didn't know about it, it wouldn't be bliss. And especially when we come to spiritual truths, um, the, the Bible says that uh, regarding spiritual things, ignorance is not bliss. And Paul was convinced of that. Um, six times in Scripture, in the King James Version, it says, I do not want you to be ignorant. But uh, modern versions use the words unaware or uninformed. We'll have those up on screen in just a minute. Um, let me just tell you what those are. In Romans 11.25, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the mystery of God. And it's God's mystery of, of dealing with Israel. And he adds the words, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. That, that being ignorant of what God's doing with Israel as, as he causes them to be blinded, you'd say, well, he got rid of them because he really, were really great in his eyes. And uh, he says, no, I don't want you to be ignorant of what God's doing with Israel and the power of unbelief. In 1 Corinthians 10.1, it's God. Um, it's God's dealings with Israel in the wilderness wanderings. And he's pointing out their failures and the lessons we should learn from those failures. Ignorance is not bliss. Not knowing how Israel failed can have an impact on you and your failures. In um, 1 Corinthians 12:1, it's about spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And in 1 Thessalonians 4:13. It's the truth of the rapture. And then twice, once in Romans 1.13 and, and a second time in 2 Corinthians 1.8, it's about events in Paul's own life and how they may think about it. Paul says to the Romans, I wanted to come to you a lot of times. You've heard that, but I've been hindered. And I want you to know I would have come, but I've been hindered. And in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, I want you to know about the horrible time we went through so that we despaired even of life. But he's been talking about the God who's able to give comfort. And he said, God comforted us. And so I want you uh, to understand. So turn over, if you're there in Ephesians 4, look at verse 17. The power of ignorance. Ephesians 4, 17, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the ignorance is in them. That's why the Gideons take the word of God around the world so that they can hear the message of Christ 
They're not ignorant of God's plan. Here are these people, they're ignorant of, of what God wants them to know. They're uninformed of what God wants them to know. And so we're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to the end of the chapter. And here it's a prayer. Um, let me just kind of review where we've been. Uh, you remember Paul's prison, uh, Paul's prison epistles are not chronologically put in. They're put in according to topic. So you have Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and Galatians that talk about our salvation. Then you have Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians that talk about the church, and 1 and 2 Thessalonians that talk about the comings of Christ. And the first letter in each of these sections is the one that gives the truth. So if you want to know everything about salvation, read Romans. If you want to know what God's plan for the church is, you read Ephesians. And then the second letter talks usually about personal issues that affect that truth. And then the, the third letter talks about uh, doctrinal things that affect that truth. And so we're in Ephesians that deals with uh, the church. And we've looked at Ephesians 3, 1 through 14, which is one long sentence in the original Greek. And it pre presents the roles played by the Trinity in our salvation. And so we saw the will of the Father, verses 3 through 6. It was the Father who made the plan of salvation. And he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. That was God's plan. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. And so God's plan was someday we will be absolutely holy and blameless in his sight. We are that positionally in Jesus Christ, but someday in all of our practice, thoughts, and words, we'll be absolutely holy. And he didn't say, you can all come to heaven and be street sweepers. You can be house cleaners. No, you're going to be my children. I've adopted you as children in my home. And he did that because of his grace. And then we saw the work of the Son, the purchase and the preeminence of Christ. He's the one who purchased us, redeemed us through his blood. And caused us to be forgiven. That word forgiven has the idea of release. He released us from the penalty of sin and even from its power. And then... He made known to us the mystery, the secret of God's plan, that the preeminence of the Son, all of history is consummated in Christ and has its fulfillment in Christ. And then we saw that we were made God's heritage, his special treasure. And then lastly, in verses 13 and 14, we saw the witness of the Spirit, his pledge, the Spirit seals us, showing that we are genuine believers, owned by God, secure and protected. The Spirit is the pledge, the guaranteeing deposit that someday we'll possess everything God has promised us. And so that's this, this verse. And Paul has said, Praise, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. His heart is overwhelmed by by the goodness of God. And at the end of each one of those sections, it says, to the praise of his glory. It ought to cause us to praise God. And so we come to the first of the prayers in, in the book of Ephesians. There's two in Ephesians. And 
these prayers, I want you to think of them like the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. The Lord didn't give us the Lord's Prayer just so we would repeat it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and on down through. No, he wants you to use that as a pattern. Hallowed be thy name. Holy be your name. As I go out the door this morning, Father, help me in my actions and my words to live a holy life that exalts your holy name. It's, it's meant to be a pattern so that we pray those things for our own lives. Thy kingdom come. Lord, I pray for the missionaries. I pray for the Gideons who are taking your word out that people can be added to the kingdom. I pray for Bethany as, as they teach the word so that Christians are built up in their faith and in their walk with Jesus Christ. And these prayers are meant to be model prayers. For us. Yay, technology. And there are four prayers. Two in Ephesians, one uh, in Philippians, and one in Colossians. You know, Matthew 6 is praying for me personally. And, and you know, praying for the, the world as well. But how do you pray for Bethany? Do you pray for Bethany? You know, most of the time when we pray for Bethany, it's, oh, this person's sick, Lord, heal this person. This person's traveling, give them travel, mystery. But how do we pray for Bethany? Well, these are model prayers. In, in the, uh, Ephesians 1, he's going to ask us to pray that people get a hold of the truth, that they comprehend the truth of God that's, that's being taught, that's in the Word of God. When you come over to Ephesians chapter 3, it's that they, they possess the truth. They see the practical ways how the truth of God can be lived out in their lives. And, and the spirits help to do it. And these are targeted. What do you pray for the Awanakids? Pray for comprehension. <laughs> that they understand the gospel. That they come to him, that the, the Bible verses they're learning will sink into their lives and, and they'll begin to understand God's plan. Pray that for Sunday school. What do you, what do you pray for the middle school kids and the, the high school kids? You pray that the word of God gets a hold of their lives and they make it their own and they live it out in their lives. They see the practicalness of it. And by the way, we pray for comprehension for all of us because we're always learning. We pray for possession for all of us because we're always knowing more than we're living. When you come to Philippians, he's talking to a mature church and he prays that they don't get complacent. It's easy when you're older to say, well, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I can coast right on into heaven. And, and so Paul says things like that your love may abound more and more. He says, I, I know you are loving people, but I want you to, to keep on growing, to keep on being stretched. You pray for that for, for the elders, for the deacons, for the Sunday school teachers, for, for older believers in this body. And then you come to Colossians chapter 1. And there it, it's a prayer for, to experience reality in its knowledge, obedience, and growth. Who's that aimed for? You got kids going off to college where they're going to hear a lot of deceptive voices. 
pray. Pray that they don't listen to the deceptive voices, but they experience the reality of, of the truth of God's word in their lives. They're going off to, to, to military. A lot of deceptive voices there. Pray that through all the noise of those voices, the word of God speaks and brings reality into their life. See, these prayers are meant for us to take and pray for each other. And you, you just can't find an, an experience the church goes through that you won't find help in these four prayers. So we're going to go through Ephesians chapter 1 and see the ways that we can pray these kind of things that Paul's giving us as a pattern. So let's go to verse 15. For this reason, I too. Paul says, listen, in light of all that we've gotten in Christ that I've just listed, it's kind of like uh, Bob Smith's brother Dan talking about geography of the Bible. He says most people read the Bible with geographical terms by humming. Abraham went from hmm down to hmm over to hmm, and they have no clue where these places are or what they're about. And a lot of times, a lot of these words, redemption, reconciliation, justification, sanctification, we just hum. And Paul said a whole bunch of words, and he's afraid that Christians have gone through there and said, and I have hmm in Christ, and I have hmm in Christ, and praise the Lord, I have hmm in Christ. And so he says, now we're going to pray for this reason. Since I heard of the faith which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, I have not ceased to thank God. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He says, listen, I pray for you all the time. And what I'm going to pray is that you didn't just hum your way through verses 3 through 14, but these words have meaning to you, and you understand what God wants to do in your life, what God has done in your life. Notice the balance in Paul. There's always the profession and the proof. In verse 1, he says, um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, uh, by the will of God, to, to uh, the saints who are at Ephesus. There's the profession. And who are faithful in Christ. There's the reality, the evidence. And so here he talks about, I've heard of your faith. And he says, and your love for all the saints. Because Paul's seen both, and there has to be both. Faith without works is dead. You have a profession, you don't have life. And so Paul recognizes both. And then in verse 17, he begins his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He's praying to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, up in verses 3 through 6, the one who made the plan, the one who chose you to be holy and blameless someday, the one who predestined you to be sons of God. I'm praying to this one, and I know I'm praying by his will because he's already said what his will was. And the Lord Jesus, uh, who came who was sent by the Father to accomplish the work. He's the Father of glory. He's the one who's the source of glory. He's the one who's worthy of glory. And so he begins to pray. He says, I pray that God prepares your heart. 
Hearts deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We have blind spots because our heart is deceitful. And so he says there's got to be some preparation of the heart. And so he says, I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, commentators argue over whether this is a small S or a big S. Is it a a spirit of wisdom and, and revelation or is this the spirit of God? who gives wisdom and revelation. But even though I'm choosing to to speak of it as speaking of the Holy Spirit, even those who who use the small s immediately refer to the fact that the Holy Spirit has to be involved in this. He's saying, listen, I pray as you read through verses 3 through 14 that the Spirit of God comes in and gives you wisdom, gives you insight to what God's doing that you realize what it is that God has given you, who you are in Christ. And he says, I, I pray that it, this will reveal itself in your life, that you'll understand how it fits with your life. So how, how do I pray for that? Well, I pray that here at Bethany, we have a conviction that the Bible is the Word of God. We're not here to tell you what Bethany thinks. We're here to tell you what the Word of God says. We want your feet to rest on the Word of God. Paul writes in, in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work on you who believe. We want you, when you hear the word of God preached, to say, this is God's word. And I need to respond to it as God's word. So how do you have to pray for that? Well, then, first of all, you've got to pray for those who, who teach the word of God, that they teach it as the oracles of God. So you pray for Gabe, next week, as he opens the Bible in in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, you pray for for his study. You pray that the Spirit of God would speak to his heart. You pray that that God works in him and he's sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. You pray for the small group leaders. You pray for the Sunday school teachers. You pray for the Iwana leaders. You pray for those who speak at Ignite. You pray for those who speak to to the high school and the junior high. You pray that they speak the word of God and that they back it up with their lives. So you pray for those that teach the word of God. You pray for Bethany to have a hunger for the word of God. So it goes beyond coming here on Sunday morning and hear us teach it. You read it for yourself. There's a hunger for the word of God. There's a hunger to to live out the word of God. That you're like the Bereans who in Acts 17 received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. So you go home, you say, I'm going to read over that passage George Farmer spoke about this morning. Did he get it right? And you read through it. And you let the word of God speak to your heart. In the knowledge of him, understanding that the goal is to know God 
In all four of these prayers, it mentions knowledge. And in this prayer, it is a special word that means a personal, intimate knowledge of God. The Christian life is not about knowing biblical facts. When I went to Emmaus Bible School, the first thing they did with the freshman was give us a Bible test. How much do you know? And at the end of the first year, they gave us another Bible test to see if we had grown in our knowledge. And you could pat yourself on the back because you got a 60% here and you got a 85% there. But that's not what life is about. God's not going to, when you get to heaven, give you a big Bible test. It's do you know God? Do you have a personal relationship with God? The Lord Jesus prayed in, in John 17, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Lord Jesus said, that's the key. This morning, do you leave having a better understanding of who Jesus Christ is, who God is, and, and because of that, you're drawn to trust him, you're drawn to love him, you're drawn to wanting to obey him. Because you've come to know him. So what kind of prayer requests do we do? We do? That Bethany would grow in its knowledge of God's character and in our trust in him and love for him. That God would prepare our hearts to hear his word and have an attitude like Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Did you come with that attitude this morning? God, I want you to speak to me today, and when I hear it, I'm committed to being your servant. That's what God wants. That we walk in holiness with him. He goes on. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Um, what's that mean? The heart has the idea of our understanding. That we would understand God's word. Seeing its application to our lives. We all have blind spots. I suspect when I was growing up, someone was preaching, and probably dozens of people in, this, uh, in Bethany or Downing at that time were saying, I sure hope George Farber hears that. But you know, what we should be saying is, am I hearing that? Am I hearing that? Is God speaking to me? that my eyes might be opened, that I might see the blind spots in my life that everybody else sees and that I'm missing. So what kind of prayer requests would you pray? And I, these are just examples. They're not exhaustive in any of these categories. That the Spirit would convict hearts through the teaching of God's Word. That at Bethany, we would not be able to sit under the teaching of the word and be unchanged. When I was first teaching, feeling a little bit, wondering what in the world, I went back and spoke to one of the teachers at Emmaus, and I said, what should be happening when I preach? He said, well, let's think about it. Do you want them all to stand up and clap? I said, well, that'd be nice. But I suspect that's not what you have in mind. 
He said, but he wanted to break down in tears. Well, yeah. I said, you're going to have to tell me because I'm not going to pick up this up on my own. He said, you want to see him over the years be changed into the image of God's son. That's the point, that our lives are changed, that we are different. And that's what the word of God is about. And that has to happen by me understanding what the word of God says. Think about it. Ask questions about it. Let iron sharpen iron as you talk to other believers, but pray that God would convict hearts and change lives. And then he says that we may know. I love the Holy Spirit because he's a master teacher. In these three things, this is what, these are the big points out of verses 3 through 14 that Spirit really wanted you to get. Paul says, by the Spirit of God, I pray that you know and here are the three things. What is the hope of his calling? The word church in the Greek literally means a called out company. In Romans 1, 5, Paul calls Christians the called of Jesus Christ. In, in 2 Corinthians 1, or 1 Corinthians 1, 8, it says we have been called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. You've been called into a special relationship with God. And so in Romans 1, 6, it says we are called saints. We have been called to Jesus Christ and set apart for God. This is a work that Jesus Christ did. It, it's a work that gives us a living hope of resurrection and an eternal inheritance. In Ephesians 4, or three, Paul will exhort us, or Ephesians 4, Paul will exhort us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You need to understand, you've been called. You can't live the way everybody else chooses to live. You've been called. And so later we're going to hear, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. How can you do that if you don't know how you've been called? To what you've been called? You can't. And so he says, I want you to get a hold of the fact of his, the hope of his calling, the hope in this life of peace with God, of freedom from the penalty and power of sin, the hope of a future life in a home in heaven, in the image of Christ. And then he says, oh, what kind of prayer request would you pray about that? that we would grasp, Bethany would grasp the hope and glory of his calling, that Bethany would see practical ways of living out that calling. When I leave here, how am I going to live? And people, people say, like they did in Antioch, well, you're a little Christian. You're a little Christ. You're a Christian, aren't you? You act like Christ. That, that we would see it. It would be real in our lives. And then he says, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? In verse 11, in Christ we were made an inheritance, God's own possession, his special treasure. You know, the only thing God's taking off planet earth is people who have trusted in his son through the work of Christ's cross. And the Bible says we'll be glorious. 
We've mentioned before Romans 8, 18 and 19, the Phillips translation, where he says, in my opinion, we may have to go, whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared with the magnificent future God has planned for us. The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sights of the sons of God coming into their own. C.S. Lewis said, if you could see yourself the way you'll be someday in glory, you would fall down and attempt to worship yourself. It's a glorious thing. The riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints. So how do we pray for that? That Bethany would appreciate the value of every believer. Every believer is part of God's heritage. Every believer someday will be like that. Every believer is special to God. Screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis, it's a, a book about a senior demon giving advice to a younger demon, and somebody gets saved, and he comes in the church, and he says, the first thing to do for that guy is impress on him the flaws of all the people around him. This guy sings off key, that guy dresses funny, that, and, they won't, and don't let him see the reality of who they are in Christ. We need to see each other through the eyes of Christ. To value each other. Every, we heard it at the end of the first meeting. Every person here has value to God, has a job to do, has a place to minister. And then we would send, pray that every believer would sense that value that they have to God. And then he says, the verse 19, the surpassing greatness, of his power towards us who believe. Warren Wiersbe says, by making us his inheritance, God has shown us his love. By promising us a wonderful future, he has encouraged our hope. Paul offers something to challenge our faith, the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. He uses four different words for power in, in uh, verse 19. Uh, what is surpassing greatness of his power? That's the word we get dynamite from. These are accordance to the working, that's the word we get energy from, and the strength of his might. And the whole thing emphasizes the immense power of Christ. And it's seen, he says, which, verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The, the resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ to God's right hand, shows the power of God. And then his rule, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. His rule, God subjected all things under his feet. His rule shows his power. That's why only, as we heard in the first meeting, you can only be saved because that's the only name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved because his name is greater than any name and then he says verse 22 he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of um, him who fills all in all and so we have his greatness let's suppose um Walmart decided to build a big building and put a basement under it. 
And so one guy arrives with one of those huge bulldozers where the wheels are taller than, than you are. And you say, you pick up your shovel and say, don't worry about it, I got it. I'll dig the basement myself. How many times in prayer do we do that? God comes with his bulldozer, and we hold up our shovel and say, don't need you, I got it. See, ignorance causes loss. The, the loss of the confidence of the hope of his calling and the glory of working for him. The great hope I have in Christ. And he's letting me be his workman. Uh, you know, uh, Gabe will talk about 2.10, for we are his ma uh, masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus, under good works which he's prepared beforehand for us to do. Do you know God's prepared some things for each person in this room who knows him as their savior to do, to be to God's eternal glory. Oh, you're the one that did that? And that's you he's talking about. And we miss the glory of that when we're ignorant of the fact that he's called us and the hope that we have in that. The loss of the appreciation of the value of each and every believer in our glorious future. Oh, this one, he's He's got this gift. But here's someone, and their gift is, is actually in eternity going to be more important than this gift. But all of us have our place and our role and our work to do. And if we don't know it, we lose that. And the loss of seeing the working of his great power as we settle on depending on our own. Paul says, I'm grieved. I'm grieved if I spoke all this to you and you miss it. So I'm going to pray. And you know what? I'm not going to cease praying that you figure it out. And then we go over to chapter 3 and he says, and then you decide you can't live without it. <laughs> and so you possess it. Pray for Bethany. Take, take this set of verses. Let God speak to your own heart. How can I, you know, maybe you have kids in Sunday school. Pray for Sunday school. Pray for your child's class. Pray for the leader of the class. Pray for the kids. Pray these things. Maybe you're involved in some other ministry. Pray these things. Pray that they get it. Because God wants to do eternally valuable things through each one of us. Let's pray. Father, what a gracious God you are. We read about the riches of your grace which you freely bestowed on us in your beloved one. And that meant your beloved one went to the cross. And we, we celebrated that in the first meeting. We talked about that the cup of your wrath that he drank so that we can drink from an overflowing cup of your blessing. We give you thanks. We give you thanks for all we have in Christ. Help us not to not see it. Don't let us be like Laodicea, a wealthy church that lived in poverty. 
Lord, open our eyes. We ask it in Jesus' name.